Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a long-time methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up, everybody? Thanks for stopping by the show. This is your first time listening. Welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us this evening. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor, thumbs the video up, hit that subscribe button in the corner. If you're on Facebook or any of the other platforms, please like or share. Uh, Any of the links that you're going to see or it flashed up on here will be in the description or the show notes, uh, podcast platforms. This will be releasing probably in a couple of weeks uh, to those platforms as well. And if you're listening there, do me a favor and subscribe. We definitely need those subscriptions to boost up the uh, visibility of the show. Um, also, uh, website is coming. So I don't, I should have done this a long time ago, but uh, you know, better late than never. And we got all that stuff going on, plus the uh, nonprofit that's being worked on as we speak. And that's going to be rolling out here probably in the next uh, six months to a year. Uh, we're getting everything lined up for that as well. So looking for looking forward to it. Big things coming uh, in the coming months. So thank you for the support and thank you for watching, listening and being uh, supportive of my mission and what we're trying to do here on the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. My guest. This evening is Levi Ferguson, also known as Levi the Passion Guy. And uh, this dude's a, a phenomenal speaker. Uh, he's definitely an inspiration. I listened to him quite a few times, and I just had to have him on the show because he's just this this energy that when he opens his mouth, man, it's like you, you just, you can't help but to listen to him. So he's doing some great things with the youth, uh, up in Sacramento, California. And, uh, I'm, I'm lucky to have him here and I can't wait to hear his story. So let me get him up in here. Ah, what's up, brother? Yo, 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 it's Levi, the passion guy, AKA the cat without a hat. (laughs) What's up, Sean? How you doing, bro? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing really well. And uh, thank you for uh, making some time to come and, and talk to me and, uh, you know, let the listeners know and, and viewers out there uh, what you're doing and your, a little bit about your story. You are an inspiration. Uh, the way that you come across, man, is uh, you, you you definitely captivate my attention when you speak. So thank you, man. Appreciate you, brother. And you know what? I love your story, too. And I love what you're doing. I love your heart. And I just love the man that you are, man. You're you're a beast of a man, and I appreciate you. 
Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. I just, uh, just trying to, just trying to do my part and find my lane in this world and, uh, you know, do the best that I can to impact it in the most positive way I possibly can making up for all of the, uh, things that weren't so positive that I brought into the world prior. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about you though. Um, what about, yeah, let's, (laughs) let's, let's go, man. Let's wrap. Um, (laughs) Tell me a little bit about your uh, your background, man. You uh, you came. You're a single mother, and uh, you know it said your your bio was uh, uh, drugs at eleven. That's right. Yeah. Um, so you want the full story, or you want the short version? Uh, lay it on me, man. Uh, we got time. <laughs> all right, all right, bro. Um, so originally, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I don't know if you could tell by the by the little <laughs> twang, you know, but I'm not from originally from California. I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia. When I was born, there were three possibilities as to who my father was. All three of them struggled with addiction. Two of them went to prison. One of them is dead. Never really knew any of them personally. Um, although what's interesting about that is that I did meet two of them when I was a teenager, 16, 17 years old. One of them I randomly met at a friend's house, uh, You know, walked into my friend's house, and he was like, this is your dad. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> and that was his uncle. You know what I mean? But turns out for real, though, he was a legitimate possibility at one time. Um, and then another one of them, you know, I actually used to sell crack to. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know him very well, but had some interaction with him and used to sell to him. Um, so that was my situation when I came into the world. And at the same time, my mom, she was struggling with her own crack cocaine addiction. So when I was born, she was around for, you know, about three months. And then she abandoned me and she was just pursuing her addiction out on the streets. Fortunate for me, like even though she abandoned me, she did leave leave me with my grandparents. So they gave me a place to live. Uh So I was fortunate in that regard because there's a lot of people out there that, you know, their parents, their mom abandons them for drugs and they didn't have anywhere to go. So they end up in the system or whatever. Uh, But for me, I did have my grandparents there. They gave me a home to live. They did try to teach me, you know, the right things to do. But nonetheless, my mom was in and out of my life as a child. I do remember going to visit her many times in jail. Um, I do remember waking up one Saturday morning. I was about seven years old and I could have swore that I heard my mom's voice. So like I jumped out of bed. I was excited. I ran into the living room where my grandmother was at and I was like, where's mom? Cause I didn't see her. And she was like, well, she's not here. And I said, yes, she is. I heard her voice. And she said, no, she just called on the phone. She's in jail. And so at seven, you know, I just remember that I just like busted out crying and, you know, that that really hurt me. Um, But that was a repeating pattern throughout my life as a child. Um, And so you can imagine like the effect that that has on a kid. So, you know, honestly. At 11, I began to follow those same footsteps that my mother walked. I began to follow the same footsteps that my father, whoever he was, that he walked So at 11, I began to smoke weed, drink alcohol and started having sex. So my mom, she ended up getting married. And when I was 12, I went to go visit my mother and my stepfather because I still live with my grandparents. 
But I went to go visit them, stayed the weekend with them. And I remember sitting down on a couch with my mom and she reached under this coffee table and she pulled out this metal tin and she opens up this metal tin and right in front of me, she, she rolls a joint and, and she looks at me and she says, do you want to smoke this? And I thought she was trying to trick me. I was like, I'm good. I, no, I'm good. So she got up off the couch. She walked out on the front porch and she said, come with me. So I walked out on the front porch with her, sat down next to her in a chair on the front porch. And she lit that joint up and started smoking it. And she pointed it towards me and she said, are you sure? And I took it from her and I started smoking it too. So from that day forward, I began to do drugs with my mom. And when I say drugs, I do mean drugs. I don't just mean weed. It was everything with the exception of heroin and LSD for the most part. Mm -hmm. And also from that day forward, I began to receive marijuana as an allowance uh, every week from my mom and my stepfather. And I didn't know this at the time, but I found out later that my stepdad was, he was a big time drug dealer then. And I remember later on that year, I went into their closet and I found like bags of marijuana and, and Tupperware full of meth. And I didn't even know what meth was really at the time, but I found these big, you know, containers full of meth. And then less than a year from that time, the cops came over there, they kicked in the door and they arrested my mom, arrested my stepdad. And eventually my stepdad ended up going to prison for five years for trafficking meth. So you can imagine that my involvement in drugs and in that lifestyle just continued to grow heavier as the weeks and years passed. So for me, I quit school when I was in eighth grade and I started using cocaine when I was th 13, uh, methamphetamine when I was 14. And at 14, I also joined a gang, started carrying guns and selling drugs myself. So my mom really was there for all of that. And she was like my biggest supporter. She was right beside me, you know, essentially my loudest cheerleader cheering me on. Um, so you can imagine, you know, what, what that was like, like that was to me, it was approved, stamped and approved, you know, like this is, this is the way to live. Um, so I just threw myself into that lifestyle and at 16, uh, you know, I'd already been drinking alcohol then, but at 16, 15, 16, I started popping pills together with the alcohol. And so I know you know what that does. I don't know if everybody listening knows what that does, but whenever you take pills and alcohol together, it, uh, you know, just multiplies the effect of each substance. So, I mean, you just, you get real high. Mm -hmm. And so at 16, I love that. And, you know, I didn't know then, I know now, but looking back, I was trying to escape the emotions and the painful feelings that I was dealing with on the inside. And, you know, turn into drugs and whatever was giving me this feeling that was allowing me to escape that. I didn't I didn't know that then, but that's what I was doing. And so one night when I was 16, some friends and I, we had been popping pills, drinking alcohol. And we decided to go rob somebody in the hood. So long story short, you know, the whole plan gets messed up. I'm sitting in the back seat with a loaded gun in my hand and a beer bottle between my legs and I fell asleep. So when I fell asleep, this beer bottle is spilled over. 
And when it did, it woke me up. So I leaned over to pick up this beer bottle. And when I did, the gun goes off, boom, shoots me in the leg. And I'm so high, so drunk that I couldn't even feel it. <laughs> that, that's how messed up I was. Um, and I remember, you know, thinking you know, a couple minutes later, I was like, I think I shot myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, my friends, they were like, well, we, we got to take you to the hospital. I was like, no, no, no. Let's just smoke some weed and go home and go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's how bad it was. That's how messed up I was. Um, but nonetheless, you know, needless to say, they did take me to the hospital. So when we got to the hospital, I get out of the back seat. My friend who was sitting up in the front passenger seat, he, he gets out and he's helping me walk into the hospital and the guy that's driving the car, he drives off and he leaves. He's got all the guns in the car. He's, you know, he's got all that stuff. Um, so long story short with that one, I did end up getting arrested for that. At 16, I was charged with criminal possession of a firearm or underage possession of a firearm. So I ended up going to a youth detention center. I was in there two to three weeks, I think. And at the time, I thought that they were going to send me to boot camp for 90 days. But instead, they said, you know, we're, we're going to put you on probation for as long as your probation officer feels necessary. This is your first charge. Um, so that's what we're going to do. But you got to go back to school and you got to get a job. So they let me out uh, and I was 16. I was in the ninth grade and I had a job. Um, and, you know, I went back to school. But nothing really changed. I mean, I was still doing the same stuff. Really, the only thing that changed, and I know you're going to get this, but the only thing that changed was that I only smoked weed once a month. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the the same day after my, my uh, probation uh, meeting. Uh, so that was all that changed. Everything else was still the same. I was still selling. I was still doing all the other drugs, drinking, all that stuff. Um, but one thing that did happen was while I was in school, I met this girl and this girl, she was like, you know, super religious. Her family went to church. And so she started talking to me about God and I, I didn't care what she was saying. I, you know, I was just still doing the same stuff. It didn't matter to me, but I did like her. And so she and I were like dating. I don't know why she was dating me, but she was, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was a bad boy. She was a church girl, but nonetheless, we, we were dating. So she would talk to me about God all the time. But as I said, I, I kept doing the same stuff. So 17 years old, uh, I ended up getting arrested two more times. First time I went to the gas station, I saw this guy. He had been talking trash about me. So I tried to fight him and he didn't want to fight. So what ended up happening was I kicked his the, the driver's side door of his truck and I put this big dent in the side of his truck. And that day after he left the gas station, he went to the police station and he filed a police report against me. So a few weeks later, they came to my house and they arrested me and charged me with criminal destruction of property in the second degree. Took me to the to the jail. I was sitting in the holding cell and, you know, I was thinking and I was like, man, I, I really don't want to live like this. Like, why, why am I doing this? And so I got out. I got bonded out. And I, I tried to stop doing the things that I was doing, but it just didn't work. 
Mm-hmm. So just continued the same path. I could not escape my addictions or the things that I was caught up in. I, I just couldn't do it no matter how hard I tried. Se- uh, that, that year, same, same, uh, same year later on, uh, a friend of mine and I, we, we went to go pick up some meth. And we were on our way back and I was driving a 1984 box top Chevy Caprice classic, looked brand new. I mean, I bought it with drug money at 16. It was nice. It was a nice car, but it was a noticeable car. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, me and my friend, we picked up the drugs. We're on our way back and this cop passes me and he knows my car. He knows that I don't have a regular license. He knows I've only got a learner's license and he's pulled me over before while I was driving by myself or with somebody underage. So as soon as he sees that car, he turns those blue lights on. Boom. And he's coming this way and I'm going that way. So he turns those blue lights on. He turns that car around. And my friend that's with me, you know, he's older than I am. He's quite a bit older than me, but he's like, I I got a warrant out for my arrest. He was like, you got to stop and let me out. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a neighborhood coming up on the right. I I pull into this neighborhood. I thought I stopped, but I didn't because because when he opened the door, he just rolled out of the car. That's what I see is him rolling on the ground. I pull off. I'm looking in my rear view. I see him get up off the ground. He takes off running and the cop is pointing the gun at him. So I pull further into the neighborhood. I pull, I park at a cul-de-sac. I jump out. I ran through the woods. I tossed the drugs I had on me and I got away and he got away too. <laughs> but there's one big problem, just one big problem. So the problem was that the car was in my grandfather's name. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, I avoided the, the felony drug charge that I would have gotten with the meth possession. Uh, but nonetheless, I still ended up turning myself in the next day because the car was in my grandfather's name. So at that time they charged me with fleeing and eluding, which apparently is not a very serious charge. It's just a misdemeanor, I guess. But uh, nonetheless, <laughs> they did arrest me, took me again to the same jail sitting in Gwinnett County jail. If anybody's in Atlanta and you know where Gwinnett County jail is, I'm sorry, but that's where <laughs> I was at. <laughs> so yeah, I remember I was sitting in the holding cell. I, I didn't go back to gym pop. Um, but I just remember thinking like about what this girl had talked to me about and how, you know, God can change your life. And if you give your life to him, he can forgive you and, you know, change everything about your life. And I'd heard that my entire life. I'm from the South, you know, so you hear that. I mean, you hear that. Uh, but I really started thinking about it. And I remember I laid down on a cold metal bench, just like something you would see at like a football field or a baseball field in, in the dugout or, or on the bleachers. So I laid down on that bench and I prayed and I said, God, I don't want to live this way, but I know that I cannot change. I said, you know, I can't change. I said, take my life and do what you want with it. Make me who you want me to be. And, you know, it's one thing to believe that God is who he says he is. It's one thing to believe that, you know, Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead or whatever. But it's quite another to commit your life to it. And so in that moment, that's what I did. I I committed my life to it. Um, So I got out of jail. And within three months, I had completely walked away from the drugs, completely walked away from the gang lifestyle, completely walked away from the violence and all the stuff that I was involved in 
it, it was just a miraculous change in my life. There was a couple times within that three months that, you know, I smoked some weed or, or drank or something like that. But for the most part, it was just complete walk away. Um, and I felt that, you know, God had a purpose for my life. I felt like I needed to do something with my life to help people. And I don't know, you remember those commercials that used to come on TV all the time, like feed, feed the children. Mm-hmm. And they, they would have these videos and somebody would be over there like somewhere in Africa, surrounded by a bunch of kids uh, that, that look super hungry, you know. And I just remember one night I was in my room and I saw this on TV and I was like, I have to do something with my life. I have to help people. And I knew that because of what I had been through, I could. And so, you know, not not that same year, I started working with youth. You know, I became a youth mentor. I started teaching them how they could change their lives, teaching them about God. Um, And I was working with youth who were from rough areas like myself and just spending time with them and helping them. And uh, the next year, you know, I, I ended up getting my GED at 17. I, I don't know what they call a GED out here in California, Sean, but where I'm from, they call that the good enough diploma. <laughs> That's that old GED, the good enough diploma. So I got my GED and uh, I started I started college at 18. I actually made it to, to college before my graduating class. I was in Bible college uh, preparing to be a pastor. And something significant happened that first year that I was in college. So we had chapel every week. Now I went to a small college. Uh, it was a you know a Christian college, so it was a small college, four hundred students or so total. But I had the opportunity to speak in chapel and to share my story, like I'm sharing with you now. And I wasn't originally supposed to get that opportunity, but somebody backed out, and somebody asked me, and I said okay. So I stood in front of the entire school, you know, 400 or so students, first ever real speaking engagement. And I shared my story just like this. And I knew in that moment that I had discovered something that was related to my purpose. I found that day that I could use the life giving power of words to help people change their lives. And so that became something that I was just passionate about. Mm -hmm. Uh, and love to do it. And so, you know, ever since then, I've been preaching and and speaking. Um, You know, eventually I did become a youth pastor. And that's actually what brought me to California. I took a position at a church as a youth pastor. Um, So that's how I got here. But then in 2017 or 2018, by you can call it coincidence, coincidence, I call it divine providence, but um, I ran into a local motivational speaker who I knew from the gym. And he told me about an event coming up where they had what's called a speak up, speak off battle. Now, a speak up, speak off battle is just like a rap battle, except it's two speakers who have to out motivate the other person (laughs) or out inspire the other person, out encourage the other person. So, um, He said, you know what? I got a tryout coming up for this show uh, this Saturday. Why don't you come and try out? And I said, all right. So I went, I tried out. And then he had another round of tryouts, a second round of tryouts, went to that one. Nobody knew if you were going to be in the actual event until the night of the event. So showed up at the event. 
you know, there was like 50, maybe 50 or so people that tried out for this event. And I was one of the four people who was chosen to speak at that event. And I ended up getting second place in that event. And so, you know, God, God really showed me something through that. He, he showed me that I could use the gift of speaking for more than preaching in churches. And so that's when I stepped into the motivational speaking world. And you know what? That's pretty much how I know you, Sean, because if, if I had not had that connection to that world, I would have never met you because my girl Eden Gold, she's the one that got me on Clubhouse. And that's where I met you, bro. So um, yeah, that's where I am today. I actually work full time with an anti-tobacco program. It's a nonprofit organization. And the purpose of our program is to reduce tobacco sales to minors. And what's crazy about this job, man, is, I mean, before COVID started, primarily what I did was go around and give presentations about the program in high schools. So even in my full-time job, you know, I, I'm working with students, 15 to 20 year olds and speaking. So now I'm, now I'm working on building a speaking career on the side as well, but just speaking has, you know, using words has always been my passion, using words to help people. So what I do now, as far as speaking goes, I primarily speak to high school students. And you know what? I use the power of words to help them realize their potential, discover their purpose, and change the world. I help them own their stories and share their stories. And that's what I love to do, man. So that's that's my life up into the present. I do have two beautiful, beautiful kids. I have an 11-year-old daughter. Her name is Azaria. She is amazing. And I got a seven-year-old son. His name is Shiloh. He is the coolest dude around. And I love my kids, man. I love, love, love being a father. I think particularly because I never had a father in my life. I just love, love being a father. So that's my life. And that's where I'm at today, Sean. I, man, thank you for having me on here, bro. I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. So what I want to ask you about being a dad. So since you didn't have one, do you find that that you are like hyper vigilant about being a good father and being there and not being and, and, and making sure that you don't uh, that you do everything that you can to, you know, uh, facilitate uh, their their growing up and, and the right way and, and all that stuff that goes with it? Absolutely, man. I, you know what? I have never missed a doctor's appointment. I've never missed a dentist appointment. I've never missed a, an athletic event. I've never missed even a, a special event that they had at school. So I am literally there for everything that they do. And I have a lot to learn as a father. But one thing that nobody can ever say about me is that I was not present and that I did not support them and that I wasn't there for them. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I try my best uh, to just be there for them and to be the best that I can be for them. And I know that I have a lot to learn. And, you know, I, I know that other people who grew up without fathers and now that they're dads, we all struggle with just feeling like sometimes that we don't know what the right thing to do is. We don't know how to do this father thing, do this dad thing. I think we all struggle with that who haven't had like a father present in our lives. So that's something that I think about all the time. I'm constantly asking myself, well, you know, I feel like I don't know this or how can I do this better or how, you know, how can I do this better? Or how can I not do this? You know, 
Um, so it's something that's constantly on my mind. And that's something one of my major life goals is just to be the best possible father that I can be. So that is definitely something that, you know, is always, always, always on my mind. So, yes, yes. I know exactly how you feel, man. Um, like, I don't know if you know my story about, about my first daughter, but she was, uh, you know, I, I had abandoned her when I was, when she was 18 months old, I got served, uh, papers to, or a court date to, uh, take my, my parental rights away yeah, uh, because of something, you know, some stupid thing I did to her mom and then wrecked her car and ended up costing her like $18,000. And so she, you know, basically was, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do to you. And mm. at that time I was, you know, deep in my addiction and, you know, partying all the time. And I got served the papers and I was just like, you know what, I'm not going to. I don't want to, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to, I'd be better. She's better off without me. You know how we start justifying our behavior, uh, justifying, you know, doing the wrong thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so that was, uh, you know, when she was 18 months. And so when I had my other daughter, I was same thing. I was just like really vigilant about, look, man, I'm not going to, I'm going to make sure that I'm around. I'm going to make sure that I do the right things this time that I'm not going to, you know, do like basically making up, for what I did wrong with the first one. Right. 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 And, you know, lucky enough, I was able to connect with my, uh, my first daughter uh, a few weeks ago. And so she reached back out and was like, wants to have a relationship. So I'll get an opportunity to try to, to cultivate that. But within be, having that daughter, uh, the younger one that I have, she's four years old. Now I realized how important that relationship is. Yeah. And, and what my first daughter missed out on. And, uh, you know, it's just like, man, it's, uh, it, it sucks, but you know, at least I, at least I got a chance to, to do it right. Yeah, know? absolutely, man. You know, at least you guys are back in touch. So that's, that's good. Now, now it's still back on, on, on the subject of, of fatherhood because, you know, being, being fathers, you know, th- th- there's a lot that goes to that, right? Yeah. You know, you know, people can say, well, you know, I'm a father or, or this or that, but, you know, having offspring and being a dad are two different things. You know, you can have offspring, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a father because a father has, if you're not involved in her life, if you're not, you know, showing up in the, in the right ways for him, that doesn't really cut it as being a dad. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so with both of your, your children, uh, give me, uh, with each one of them, one of the, the favorite moments that you've had had with them as you've watched them grow. So probably when my daughter, man, it's going to have to be the day that she was born. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when the doctors first brought her to me, I was the first one to hold her. Um, and I remember holding her and she was sucking her thumb on the day that she was born. And she just looked up at me and just stared at me with these incredibly beautiful eyes. Like, and she was just like locked on me. And to me, that was just one of the most powerful moments of my life. And, you know, most of her life, she's been a daddy's girl. So that, you know, I'll never, never, never forget that moment. Um, that, that was a powerful moment for me, you know, first kid (laughs) and she just, you know, stare, stares at me that way. Um, for my son, 
you know, recently I've seen that he's, he's, he's a lot like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of the things that we've done together, <laughs> you, okay, I'll share this one. Uh, you know, what we used to do all the time, whenever we would go somewhere is he would dress up like Superman or, you know, somebody, and he would want me to dress up as say Batman. So I do have this picture of he and I, when he was probably three, um, and he's got on this Superman shirt with the cape and he had me in the, in the Batman get up. So I had on a Batman shirt. Um, and also I had on this Batman mask. So, um, that was a cool, cool moment. And like, we went to the store together, like dressed like that, you know, <laughs> so we're, we're walking around, you know, target or whatever in, in our Superman gear. And that, that was a really cool moment. Um, just for me and him to be connected in that way. So I, I love that. And it was, it was beautiful. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a good story, man. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can relate to what you were talking about with your daughter. Cause with, for me, um, when the first time she smiled at me, it wasn't in the hospital. It was like maybe a month or two afterwards. And I was holding her and she looked up at me and she just smiled at me. And, uh, whoo, man, <laughs> uh, it was, you know, just a flood of emotions came right. through, you know, yeah. about I missed out with my other one and everything else. And it's just too, like, I fell in love with her instantly in yeah. that mo- in that moment. <clears throat> so yeah dude being a being a being a father is is i i it's not like there's nothing else like it um yeah yeah kind of the amount like how how deeply you love that child man it, it like when people i used to say people would say that to all the time they're like oh yeah you know you know the love of your kid you never know and, and you're never gonna know until you have your kids what that's gonna be like and when i was i say, yeah whatever man shut up you don't know what you're talking yeah, about yeah 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 and and when it happened, I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> I get it now." Because I mean that that like you love something so much that it hurts. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. When you when you think about it, it's like ah. When you think of when I think of anything happening to her, it's just like this this thing, man. So that, that's that's awesome. I love it. Um. So. As far as like your youth uh, mentor, mentoring youth and, and, you know, the things that you're doing uh, with the kids in the community, do you have a, an example or a story of, of somebody that, that you cross paths with that you helped out? Like, like what's your best, like, cause when I think of somebody who works with kids, like you always take a liking to somebody or, or you see, you see a, a kid that, that, that like you see yourself in. Right. Yeah. Now, is there any any examples that you can give of of um, a situation that maybe some somebody that you helped out, you helped mentor uh, that touched you in, in, in a way that that you'll never forget? Um, yeah. You know, there's there's quite a few. Um, a, a lot of them were, you know, during my time as a youth pastor. So, you know, there there are uh, a couple people that. I worked with when I was living in Texas. I was down in Texas for about four and a half years. I was a youth pastor at a Chinese church, <laughs> Chinese church, bro. Um, and I worked with several students there. And it's awesome to me because, you know, I spent a lot of time with them. 
And there are uh, two of them who ended up, you know, pursuing becoming a pastor. Um, and so for me, that was that was really cool to see that uh, because, you know, like I said, I spent a lot of time with them, taught them a lot of different things, uh, spent time training them on how to do a lot of different things. And just seeing them take that path uh, was was really cool. And, you know, I would say uh, another one, too, before I left Georgia, there was a, a guy that I was working with. His name his name is Kenny. And I spent a lot of time with him and his brother. I mean, they were like with me like every day. And before I met them, they were into a lot of pretty crazy stuff. Um, but just spending time with them, you know, slowly and steadily, they, they walked away from that. And, you know, they began to, to get their lives together and focus more on, you know, becoming who they were meant to be. And they just started living completely different lives. And it was it was shocking to, to me to see that it was, it was dope, you know. Um, so that was that was a really cool experience. But, you know, if, if you attach yourself to youth, you, you'll see that happen. You know, they'll, they'll be stuck in these lives, uh, rough family backgrounds where they're not really shown a lot of love at home, don't get a lot of affection. And then you come along and, and you start pouring love on them and, and just spending time with them and showing them that, you know what, you matter. Your life matters and you can make a difference. And over time, they start to believe that they see that. And they start to believe that and they start to live that way. And it's just powerful to watch that. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, when you, when you see somebody step into their purpose and actually take hold of, of, of who they, who they really feel they are, it's, it is really powerful. Um, what, what misperception do you think people have about, um, about uh, at-risk youth? You know, I think that a lot of times people feel that they're just bad kids and that they're, they're hopeless. You know, they're, they're going to follow the path of the statistics and they're just going to end up in prison or, or dead. Um, and so what, what I would like for people to understand about these students, these youth, these, these kids is that they have been through a lot of stuff, trauma. Um, and for them, they are doing the best that they can to just survive what they are trapped in. So, you know, they, they don't want to be bad kids. They, they don't want to do bad things. They just don't know anything else. Um, and I would say that these kids... And even people who are in prisons are a lot of times they are some of the most passionate people in the world. But, you know, passion and I love the word passion, but uh, passion is is like a fire. So you can do a lot of things with passion. You can do a lot of destruction with passion, but you can do a lot of good things with passion, too. And so a fire that's uncontrolled, it it destroys things. It burns things down. Um it, it destroys buildings. It destroys everything in its path. It destroys homes. It destroys lives, kills animals that are in the way. That's like the wildfires in California. When you can't control them, they cause destruction. But fire that's controlled, you can do a lot of good things with. You can create art. 
You can create buildings. You can create cars. You can cook. You can create glass. You can do all kinds of great things with controlled fire. And these these kids, man, that's what it's like for them. They've, they've got all this passion inside of them, but they have no idea what to do with it. Mm. They haven't had anybody there to show them what to do with it. A lot of times they don't have a father in their life. A lot of times they don't have either parent in their life. A lot of times they don't have any positive role models in their life. Is that their fault? No, they didn't choose to be born where they were or in the circumstances that they were born in. And so what they really need is somebody like you, somebody like me, somebody to come along and walk beside them in life and show them that you can do something great with this fire. Let me show you how to control it and direct it because you can do some powerful things with fire or with passion and you can actually change the world for better if you use your passion for good. So that's what I wish people knew. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you, you, you captivate me. With, uh, seriously, man, you see I'm hanging on every word. Like, Appreciate just, you, brother. <laughs> yeah, man. You just, you, you, you don't, you got a, you got a skill and you've got a, a, a gift, man that that you know captivates people and 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 gets their attention and makes them listen uh to what you're saying and that is a that is a that is a rare gift and i i'm i'm so happy that i get to witness it and uh, be a part of it and be in the same spaces that you're in and uh get to learn from you you know thank you i love getting to learn from you too man i love being connected with you bro Love hearing everything you're doing. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So let's, uh, if you had one message, we're, we're at about 41 right now. Now, um, if you had one message that you want to get out, and that was a great message that you put out. <laughs> I don't know if you can top that one. That was a, that was, that, that, that was a, a plus right there. Um, what message would you, would you want to put out there? Um, if you had, you know, I'm, I'm giving you your, your, a chance to speak and, and try to motivate uh the people that are going to be listening or watching to this or listening or watching this uh, broadcast. Okay. Um, man, I will say first and foremost, you know, I speak to, to high school students and one of the things that I talk to them about is killing the game that was forced upon you in life. And the way that I teach them to do that is first of all, by challenging their past. And the way that I teach them to challenge their past is through the power of forgiveness. So, you know, look, whenever you choose not to forgive, it's it's like you're allowing the person who hurts you to lock you in a cage and you are giving them the key. And what happens then is that people, they don't get the real you. They get the hurt you. They get the angry you, they get the bitter you, they get the resentful you, they get the vengeful you. But that's not the real you. That's the pain inside of you. But when you choose to forgive, something happens. See, we take those emotions, anger and resentment and bitterness and vengefulness, and we actually wrap those around us like pieces of armor to protect us, to keep other people from hurting us again. And they actually work. They do keep people from hurting us again. They keep people from getting in, but they also keep people from getting in. They keep love 
from getting in. They, they stop joy from getting in. They keep happiness from getting in. They keep all of these things from getting in. And instead of pieces of armor, they're more like chains that are wrapped around us that lock the real us inside and keep us away from the world and keep us away from healing. But when you choose forgiveness, you start taking those chains off. And you let the anger down, you let the resentment down, you let the bitterness go, you let uh, the vengefulness go, and it opens you up to to be the real you again. When you choose forgiveness, it's not about the person who hurt you. A lot of times we think that it is. And the word forgive, originally, that word means to release. And a lot of times we think that that means to release the person who hurt us from responsibility. But really, it means to release yourself from the responsibility of enforcing justice on them because that's not your responsibility anyways. And it allows you to be free so that you don't have to carry this burden of anger and resentment and bitterness and vengefulness around with you because that's a heavy burden. And it doesn't let you be you. So that's the first thing I would say. That's number one right there. That's how you challenge your past. Number two, you got to change your mindset. And what I mean by that is this. Everything that you've ever been through, all the pain that you've experienced does not have to define your present or your future or even your life. I tell people that pain is just purpose announcing its name. Say that again. Pain is just purpose announcing its name. See, Viktor Frankl, he was a psychologist and also a survivor of the Holocaust. He said this. He said, suffering ceases to be suffering the moment it finds meaning. And what he means by that is that you can look at the pain that you've been through and you can say, you don't get to define me. And you can look at the people that hurt you and you, you can say, you don't get to define me. I am going to define what happened to me and I am going to use it for good. It was a terrible thing that happened to me, but it will not decide who I am. Instead, I will decide what to do with it. And so we can choose to use that pain to help other people and to do good in this life. And the third thing is you got to choose your future. So you can't just change your perspective on the pain that you've been through. Yes, that changes your mindset. Yes, that changes your perspective on life. But you have now got to do something with that choice. You've got to choose where you're going to go in life. You know who Earl Nightingale is, Sean? No. Never heard of Earl Nightingale? So he, he has this really well-known speech called The Strangest Secret. And he said in this speech... He said that there was a lot of research that was conducted. Lots of people were interviewed and the people who conducted this research and interviewed these people, they, they found this. They would ask them questions like, well, why, why do you get up in the morning? And wh why do you go to work? And they found that 95% of the time, that's 95 out of 100, people could not give you a solid answer. In other words, 95% of the people in the world, for the most part, don't even know why they get out of bed in the morning. And I know that 
you know what? Like it can be difficult to feel like you've discovered your purpose in life, but I want you to know that every single day, even though you may feel you have not discovered your purpose every single day, you can choose to live with purpose. And you can do that because you have the power of your own story. And when you share your story, you help people. Even if you just share the struggles that you're having, that sometimes has the power to save somebody's life. For real. I've heard it over and over again where somebody would share a story about a time they met somebody randomly outside walking on a bridge. And they stopped and talked to this person and somehow they, you know, got into conversation and and they shared some struggles that they were having. And the person says something to them like this. You know what? I was about to jump off of this bridge. But you just saved my life. So we have the power of our story. And when we share our story, we choose to live with purpose every day because our story impacts people and helps people. But you also have the power to help other people every day. Anytime you see somebody in need you do have the ability to help. So we can choose to live with purpose through the power of our story and through the power of helping other people. And you know what? Like everybody, everybody has dreams, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe that our dreams are connected to our purpose. I believe that. I, I believe that the dreams that you have inside of you were given to you to pursue. So pursue your dreams and we all know that Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream. We also know that he was a man who chose to live with purpose. And though he was hated by most in his time, his pursuit of his purpose changed the world. And he had a dream that one day little black boys and girls and little white boys and girls would join hands together and would play together. And because he pursued his purpose, one day that dream became a reality. And I recently uh, heard a speaker. He, he said this. He said his name's Josh Shipp, by the way. He's a youth speaker, uh, pretty well known. But he, he said Martin Luther King Jr. was a great man, not because he had a dream, but because he woke up and did something about it. Mm. And so that would be my challenge to anybody who is listening to me right now. I have a dream that you would wake up, that you would open your eyes to the fact that you have a purpose to live. So I believe that everyone is born with a purpose, but very few live on purpose. And the greatest injustice we do to ourselves is never pursuing our purpose. And again, you may feel like you don't know what your purpose is, but you can choose every day to live with purpose through the power of your story, through the power of helping other people. And I love this quote, too, by Robert Collier. Now, he was around. He's an old school guy. But he said this. He said, success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. And so every day when you choose to live with purpose by sharing your story and by helping other people, little by little, step by step, that has a massive effect on you achieving your purpose as well as a massive effect on your success and your impact in life. 
I'm the quote guy, so I got one more for you. <laughs> <laughs> and and Sean, I know you've heard heard me say this one before, uh, but Rudyard Kipling, he was the writer of the Jungle Book. I know most people know the Jungle Book. He said this, man. He said words are the most powerful drug used by mankind. And I love to add to that, that the only thing more powerful than words are the stories we create with them. Your story matters. Everyone's story matters. And your story has the power to change lives and has the ability to literally save lives. So my challenge to you would absolutely be to choose to live with purpose by sharing your story. And if you need help sharing your story, you get in touch with me and I will help you absolutely because I know that your story can save lives. So please share your story. That would be my message, bro. <laughs> hey, that was a great message. Definitely. Appreciate that. Appreciate you, uh, that. You you are a motivator. You are an inspirer. You are a influencer, and you're definitely somebody that I look up to, um, for sure. Uh, I look I up to you, man. I appreciate you, brother. So, real quick, let's let's do one more thing because you know everybody knows that I'm I'm starting to pull a lot of uh, a lot of uh, guests from Clubhouse. Yeah, and there's a lot of people out there that don't know have any clue what Clubhouse is. Uh, it's still relatively new and you only, you can only get on there by invite only. And if you have an iPhone yeah. or, or, or an Apple product. Right. Right. So in your best, I don't know, give me a two minutes, uh, three minutes. Uh, why is clubhouse so impactful and why are people talking so much about it? So why is clubhouse so impactful? Well, clubhouse does something that other social media, uh, just don't do. And what social uh, or what Clubhouse does that other social media uh, platforms don't do is that they have it has the ability to connect people in a way that nobody else does. And so you you jump on Clubhouse and you can literally go into all these different rooms that are focused around different things and you can be in the presence of people who are really well known in those arenas, or you can be in small rooms with really cool people who are just chatting about something that they like. And you can go in any of those rooms. And not only can you go in any of those rooms, but a lot of times you can get on stage and you can speak in those rooms and you have the opportunity to share something that you like. Sometimes you have the opportunity to share your own story. And so in that moment, you just get connected to the people that you are with in a way that no other social media platform can do, has done. And maybe there are some other ones that are going to do it soon, but Clubhouse is the only one right now that I know of. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful thing because on that app, I mean, Let's be real. When you're chatting with somebody like that, you have a lot better understanding of who they really are. And they just can't fake it the way they can on Instagram or mm -hmm. on Twitter or on you know Facebook. They just can't fake it the same way because you're seeing them really for who they are. Now, they can lie to you. They can do that. But you still have a lot better chance of seeing who that person really is. So it forces a level of authenticity that other platforms do not have. And what was your second question related to that? No, that was it. That was it. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. You, you answered it. Okay. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. You should jump on there, get connected with people. You can literally get connected with people 
all over the world Mm -hmm. who are involved in things that you love doing. So you can just make all these incredible connections, which means that ultimately you yourself uh, are going to be having a greater impact on people because of those connections. So I think you should do it. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the kind of connecting you're doing there is is way more organic. Uh the growth for your your social media like your Instagram cuz that's connected to it, your Twitter if that's what you do. Um the people that you're actually connecting with are are people that are either you're interested, truly interested in and wanting to make a connection with or they're truly interested in wanting to make a connection with you because they've heard you. It's hard to, it's hard to fake your voice. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're saying, yeah, you can lie if you want to, but I mean, it's really difficult to, to, to fake that. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause you emotion intonation, all of these other things that go on uh, as of, as us as a species get cues from, right. Right. Like we we know, (laughs) You know, we, 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 I've been duped plenty of times. So like, yeah. I know, I know that, that, that game and, and when it's coming and I, you know, honestly, I haven't, I haven't run across it yet. Yeah. 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 I mean, if somebody gets up there and they're trying to sell something, we know that immediately, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not like you sneak that in. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no, no boomerang. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we're at 57 and I really appreciate you giving me the time, man. And uh, you're, you're, like I said, you're inspiring and I love listening to you and I can't wait to, uh, to maybe connect with you and do some more things and, and, and help elevate whatever it is that you're doing and uh, possibly helping you in any way that I possibly can, man. Same um, to you. Same to you. For sure, for sure. So why don't you go ahead and uh, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, and uh, I, I know I got some things here, but your email is not on here. So if people want to reach out to you, where where can they catch you at? Okay. Uh, first thing, you can just check me out on Instagram. So that's Levi, L-E-V-I underscore the passion guy dot not dot com Levi underscore the passion guy. That's it. <laughs> um, so that's my Instagram. You can DM me. Uh, you can go to my website, which is right now on the screen. So that's www.embraceyourchange.com. And the your is you are instead of Y-O-U-R. And you can also catch me through my email uh, that is connected to that website. So that's going to be Levi, L-E-V-I, at embraceyourchange.com. You can find me pretty easily on Facebook, Levi Ferguson. You can find me on there. You'll see me. Uh, so that's that's probably the best ways to get in touch with me right now. Awesome, man. Well, I'm, I want to thank you again and uh, look forward to seeing more from you, seeing what you're going to be doing out there uh, with the kids. And then when I get my my program up and running, I'm definitely going to be uh, leaning into you uh, to come and, and speak and and uh, help motivate them to thank uh, you, man. Thank you. For sure. You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to do a couple of announcements. Just hang out for a second uh, in the green room and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll bring this thing home and shut it on down. And then I'll, uh, I'll catch up with you in just a second. Cool. Cool. Thanks, Levi. All right, man. That was a great guest. Uh, you know, I love that guy. Uh, I listen to him quite a bit in a lot of the rooms that I, that I share space with him in. And, uh, every time, every time he speaks, man, it's just a, uh, it's just a motivating, a motivating moment. Uh, so tomorrow we've got a couple of things, uh, two more, uh, episodes coming at you one at 4 PM and one at 5 PM, uh, Tara, she's a woman who struggled with uh, gambling addiction. And so we're going to talk to her about that. And then we got John Boziak. Uh, 
he is a ex credit card fraud Carter. Uh, I used to do the same thing, but this dude was doing it at a way bigger level than I was. Uh, he was actually uh, manufacturing and selling these things in bulk. So he's going to come and uh, tell his story and talk about uh, all that stuff. So got a got another packed schedule for you tomorrow and uh, looking forward to it. So why don't we go ahead and close this out? Uh, usual manner. Um, I'm not very good at closing these things out sometimes, but yeah, uh, keep it 100. Stay true to yourself because there ain't no better way to be, man. Peace. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.